Hey everyone, this is Lamar from We Drink and We Watch Things, and you're probably thinking, oh, this is weird. Lamar and I don't usually have these private one-to-one conversations before the podcast starts, but here we are. And the reason that I'm here, guys, is to apologize, because the episode you're about to hear, my audio is pretty much garbage. I'm not sure what happened, if it was a human error or a technical mistake on my part, but... I just wanted to say sorry that it's not going to be the best sounding episode that we've done to date. It's probably the worst sounding episode that we've done to date. We hope that you guys will still enjoy it. And as far as the mistake goes, just like my car after 60 or so payments, I'm going to own it. So I'm going to do better. That's all I can really do. I hope that you guys will still enjoy the episode. And yeah, feel free to, to send the hate mail this week. It's deserved. Take care. Enjoy the up. So I'm watching this Marie Antoinette movie the other night, and I'm just seeing dogs galore. There are so many freaking dogs in this movie. There's hunting dogs, Mm -hmm. there's pet dogs, there's froofy dogs running around the property. And it got me thinking, all the dogs, it got me thinking, they should have Oscars for dogs. Like, why is there not a best actor or actress (laughs) for dogs? That is a more than fair point, I think. I would actually argue that we should expand it though to like best animal in general. Okay. I'm on board. Because like cows and horses and all of that jazz. And I think those need to be included in the category. But what popped into my head as soon as you said that was that have you ever seen that Instagram Australian shepherd dog that does yoga with his mom? Okay. And lays on top of her and all that. That yeah. dog can do anything. That dog should be an actor. You could be like a dog acting scout. Like, yeah. Have, yeah. You know, oh my God. Like... That should be my new job. Dog acting scout. Yes. I'm hired. I'm hired. And even if you never find a single star, that is still the best. You're doing what you love. So... Uh, yeah. Me and the dogs. A hundred percent. Yeah. I also saw a tweet earlier this week that was like an email that somebody had sent to Warner Herzog and said, do you think that horses on camera know that they're making a motion picture? And he actually <laughs> responded and was like, no, I don't think they know, which is a little heartbreaking, but. That is sad. They're famous and that's all that counts, right? So last thing before we get into the episode, you got to nominate one famous dog or animal from cinema. Who are you throwing into that initial best actor or actress category? I don't know their names, which feels really disrespectful. For animals, you know what? I'm always going to campaign for equal rights, but I think for animals, for the purpose of this activity, you could just refer to them by their character name. I know we don't normally do that at the Oscars, (laughs) but just call them their character name. Like you have the classic dog films like a Marley and me or like the sled dog films mm. like the all of those dogs do great. You just put tears in like a bunch of our listeners eyes by mentioning Marley and me. Spoiler. I know we, we're talking about Marie. We're going to pause today, and we're going to go cry yeah, now. Sorry. Save you Sorry. that remorse if you're not watching Marley and me. I would go with Shadow from Homeward Bound, The Incredible Journey. Oh, the way what he a fakes good that limp. How do you teach a dog to fake a limp? That's incredible. That is incredible. Trainers, dog trainers, call us. We need the deets. All right. Welcome back to We Drink and We Watch Things. I'm Mackenzie. My name is Lamar. Thanks for coming back for some more girl time, but with with Lamar too. Uh, You're you're allowed. (laughs) You can attend. Thank you. Uh, So we continue again with our girl-themed episodes. I'm super excited, but before we get into that, what are we drinking? What you got? My buddy Troy left this year a few months ago, and it is a homemade moonshine recipe. 
It's mm-hmm. got cinnamon and peach and some citrus stuff in there. It's very delectable. It's basically like drinking syrup. But mm-hmm. the reason I chose that for this film is all the friggin' sweets and tasty oh treats my God, that they eat in this. I know the real life Marie Antoinette died of being beheaded. We don't see that in this film. So I'm going to assume this version dies of diabetes. Because... I was going to say, she would have died of diabetes in real life. <laughs> yeah. So that's what I've got. How about you? Yes, it's tons of sweets and tons of champagne, as you remember, I'm sure as well. But yes. I also didn't want to do an episode of straight champagne again. And we're recording in the morning on a lovely Saturday morning, and it feels like brunchy time. So I did a mimosa, but not just any mimosa, a pomegranate mimosa. Ooh, Cheers. a pomegranate mimosa. So are you using some sort of pomegranate syrup in that? Or is that the, you fresh squeeze a pomegranate? You can get palm juice. Okay, Have you ever okay. seen the little tubs of palm juice? They're so cute. They're like, I don't know. I think that's what they, the bottle is shaped like what they think a pomegranate would be shaped like in bottle form. I don't know. Clearly you can't look. Google it. So who knows, no, who knows can't Google what it. a pomegranate is actually shaped like. Yeah, you can't give it a Google and, and find a picture, but it's a dark red little bulbous bottle if you're looking for it. And it's in the fruit section and it is delicious. And you don't need a lot to add some flavor to the mimosas pro tip. So for color, couple drops even. So Marie Antoinette, where do you want to get us started? I'm going to let you lead today. This is my first time seeing this. So where do you want to start? Thank you for letting me lead. This is it's Women Empowerment Month on this podcast or something. I don't know what we're calling it. Yeah, yeah. I love that. I love that. I will say, though, this is probably my wheelhouse for sure in a couple ways, not least of which the nerdy side of it. But I would say we can kick it off with who are our cast of characters. Obviously, Marie Antoinette is the lead character and is played by Kirsten Dunst who, if you don't already know, is a little bit uh, of a muse for our writer and director, Sofia Coppola. So this is our- She was also in Virgin Suicides, right? Correct, which is Sofia Coppola's first film. So this is Sofia Coppola's third outing. This was in 2006. And this was her, her third film after Virgin Suicides and then Lost in Translation. This is her, I think- continuing the theme of a lonely figure at the center in virgin suicides it's also women and in this it's women and then in lost in translation as we know it's bill murray and scarlett johansson's characters are both pretty lonely folks so it seems to be her theme in her early films you know what's not um, a theme of hers is putting her brother in like why is nicholas cage not in every sofia coppola film <laughs> let him play marie antoinette he's got range it's, listen we have found the movies that he'll say no to that's what it is. <laughs> I refuse to work with my sister. That Fuck would be shit. that would be hilarious if you went to his home office and the no pile of scripts was literally just Sophia. Just Sophia Coppola scripts. He's <laughs> like, Fuck that shit. I'm good. I don't I'm believe in nepotism. No, exactly. Yeah, and good call out for those of you who didn't know. They are in fact related. It's good times. Obviously, she's the daughter of the famous Francis Ford Coppola. She's mm-hmm. made fa- famous by her appearances as well in The Godfather. Three, and the best one. Part, the <laughs> part three. Okay, we're not going to get into that. We don't want to. <laughs> we don't want to stir that pot. But my favorite little n- trivia fun fact about her is that her stage name for a hot minute there was Domino. If you didn't her know that, her stage though. name was Domino. Yeah. What kind she, of stage was she, she on? She is like, quoted. Uh... <laughs> I know. She's quoted as saying it was, she thought it was glamorous. She thought it was a glamorous stage oh. name. So, so does Cinnamon down at the Gentleman's <laughs> Club. 
Okay. <laughs> so it's a good thing she moved on, I think is yes. what we would say into directing. With your, your real name, your birth name is probably the right move here. Is the move here for sure. So anyway, we've got, those are, those are, our, I would say really our two key players. Honestly, this is a real mm-hmm. focal, the focal point of this film is on Marie Antoinette's character. However, we do of course have a supporting cast, which includes Jason Schwartzman, Rip Torn, but we're going to get into that. Steve <laughs> Coogan, Jamie Dornan, and a baby Tom Hardy, by the way. I totally won. I rem- I literally yelled out loud, baby Tom Hardy. Yeah, Janelle watching. asked it as a question. She was like, is that a baby Tom Hardy? It, and it was. Janelle needs to get on the pod. Like she and <laughs> we have the same thoughts watching these movies. I love it. Yeah, so baby Tom H- Hardy makes an appearance. Molly fucking Shannon. Because yeah, why not? Let's just when I saw her the in. name, I, I think I was expecting more Molly Shannon of it all, but she plays it pretty straightforward. She played zero Molly Shannon of mm-hmm. it all, 100%. Asia Argento of Triple X fame, if you like to watch some trash movies. Dario Argento's Ra- daughter, also. A lot of nepotism in this film. A lot of nepotism in this, now that we're putting it all together, mm-hmm. huh? Yeah. Yeah. Dario Argento finally... did, I'm sorry, Dario Argento is the one who, for those that don't, horror fans did Suspiria demons the new suspiria as well the the remake uh, a few years back mm-hmm. and both are great but that's his daughter mm, i haven't watched the remake yet so no i do need to make the rounds on that one worth yeah. watching yeah and then finally i don't want to leave her out rose Byrne, who is obviously incredible in all the things but m- makes an especially fun turn in this particular flick as well so mm-hmm. that's our major cast and then i did want to start right at the top with acknowledging the like somewhat historical accuracy of this but how we don't really get into the history of it all to be honest there are certain things that are accurate there are certain things that are super not accurate and i don't think i think the big call out there is that's not the point of the film first of all again it's supposed to be focusing on marie antoinette and her lens her life her experience and she was incredibly isolated so i think that's part of that's a purposeful choice of she doesn't understand the goings on around her she doesn't understand the politics and life outside of versailles this is what her life is isolated to become and it's very controlled and it's very limited and so she just lives in her own little world and so you don't get as much of the history and that is a big criticism of this film from a lot of people going back to some feedback on this film on the whole it's like a it's a middling rating on Rotten Tomatoes. That's 58%, 56%. It's a six and a half out of 10 on IMDb. Not a lot of, not a lot of praise for this film other than how beautiful it is. I was going to point out that the only Oscar, which it did win was best costume design, but it wasn't nominated in any other category. Wasn't nominated anything. And it did win this, which of course, like the costumes are luscious. You can understand Mm -hmm. why it would win. Even honestly, the set design and production design, I think they're helped so much there though, by the presence of Versailles. They were given full reign to film throughout Versailles and which is where Marie Antoinette was. So like how poignant must that have been to be Mm -hmm. in that place, film in that place and really emulate that where she actually lived this particular life and did these particular things. So that was really interesting to me. I thought throughout, but I do think again, the criticism of her as a monarch is the same as it is of this film where it's like, it doesn't deal with the external reality for those of you who don't know because Lamar did tell us last time that he didn't know who Marie Antoinette 
is. So prepared a little quick lesson for you guys. So she is famously the queen. You probably know her of let them eat cake fame, which in fact, she did not say there's all kinds of a historical agreement that she didn't say, let them eat cake. Which she does but point it was out in, in the movie. Which she does point out in the movie. She defends herself in the movie, but it's because it's in response to the fact that her people are starving. So this is the buildup. What we're seeing internally in her inside of Versailles is her life experience leading up to the French Revolution really coming to a head of we're going to put our monarchs on trial and ultimately behead them in this case. And so it was because her people were starving. There was no bread. There was no flour. They didn't have access to food. And so she's often considered a really heartless monarch in the sense that she supposedly didn't care and said things like let them eat cake, which of course she did not. But she did, part of why she gets this reputation is that she did live so lavishly, like you see in the film. She did have enormous debt. She did spend tons and tons of money on decor, food, parties, experience, clothes, etc. She did do all of that. And she had a severe gambling problem as well. She would gamble extensively, lose tons of money, etc. So she's living this incredibly lavish lifestyle while her people are starving. They're going to hate her. And she did have several affairs. She had an illegitimate child. She did generally indulge in her life during this time. And unfortunately, yeah, it leads to a really terrible end where her son is turned against her in a, in a matter of days, literally her young son, who's the heir. And she, there are many plots to try and free, free her after she's taken captive, but ultimately none of them work. She is convicted by this revolutionary tribunal and she is beheaded, as we know, at the guillotine, famously. So that's a quick once over on Marie Antoinette, the historical figure. Are you ready, and, Lamar? Yeah, so... With all those details that you just gave, we need to get this out of the way right now, is I did not enjoy this film for a lot of the yeah, reasons you just is. stated. And I, I, don't, I think that there's this might end up being the film that we've, we are on opposite sides of the most thus far, except for some of the Halloween ones in our, where we covered 50 different Halloween films. But I think this one is going to be a little bit divisive, but I think it's okay for us to share each of our opinions and there's no right or wrong here, but... Let me get into the reason why I didn't enjoy this, because the summary you just gave, I find a lot more interesting than what takes place in this film. I feel last week I said I rate movies based on do they do what they set out to do, whether it's a comedy film trying to be funny or a horror film trying to be scary. I think you can have a, a 10 a 10 film across all genres. This film is one of the cases where for a biopic, I'm not exactly sure what it's trying to get me to feel about this person because mm -hmm. we don't see a lot of the consequences that you just brought up of how it plays out. I was actually looking forward to that because I did Google Marie Antoinette and the first thing is she gets beheaded. And I said, oh, but so at the beginning of this movie when it starts out of that shot of her in that really pretty dress and it's got the rock music playing in the background, I was on board. I was like, oh, this is gonna be like mm -hmm. a knight's tale of a modern yes, retelling yes. and she's got an attitude. But then it drops into more of a like, less funny princess diaries of she's a fish out of water but now look she's having fun and then it just all the conflict that you mentioned we don't get into the history but i feel like to the deficit of not actually experiencing a lot of conflict outside of some letters from her mom and a couple of passing conversations and then finally shit hits the fan in the last 30 minutes but we don't even see the consequences play out so i'll, I'll pause there and let you, does that sound in line with what you've heard as far as the criticisms of this go? 
Very similar. Yeah. And I would say the overarching criticism of Sofia Coppola as a director is generally that she cares more for locations and visuals than plot and story and character development and all those kinds of things. Those are the things that suffer for the sake of the shot. Right. Mm -hmm. And actually, I agree with you. I generally, listen, I was all for let's do some female-led, female-empowered films. These are, I think, impactful films. Sofia Coppola is, I think, an impactful director. And she's worth discussing for all of these reasons and then some. But generally speaking, do I enjoy watching all of her films? Not necessarily. No. And Lost in Translation, that's another ep. But that's one of those two for me where... I don't enjoy the act of watching it. I don't mm. know what it's trying to tell me. I don't know where it's trying to go. And I think that's true of this one. However, it throws me for such a loop that I feel the need to reconsider it and reconsider it over time. And so that's really what I continue to do with this film and did on this watch as well. So I agree with you. I actually don't enjoy this a lot. I think it has a lot of weaknesses. Again, I think it's beautifully designed. I think mm -hmm. the set design and the costume design and all these things are gorgeous. Sofia Coppola knows how to work with her DP to get a gorgeous shot, right? Yeah. But I think the plot is lacking and it's important to note that she is the writer and director of these films, right? Mm -hmm. But what I will say, looking again at trying to consider her stories that she is trying to tell, is I do think there are some common themes. She doesn't say it with words, though, right? Like, she says it with a lack of action, with a lack of word, with the shot being the way that it is, right? And so I think it's important to consider what she's trying to do. Does it land for the audience? Is it enjoyable to watch? Not necessarily, but is yeah. it an artistic choice? I think so. And I think what she's trying to do here, honestly, is I think she is trying to show with all of that, that Marie Antoinette had no idea what the fuck was going on. Mm -hmm. Her life was isolated to this court and all these strict protocols. You saw, let's talk quickly about the border crossing, right? Mm -hmm. When she gets handed off to the French king. And they take her she's, dog. They literally take her fucking dog. Like, what kind of monster? I turned to Skylar and I was like, they'd have to they'd have to kill me. I would fight them for my dog. That's not gonna happen. I'd go you right back. I'd be like, somebody else can marry him. I'm fucking out. Like You will be happy to know that in real life she was given the dog back after the marriage. So yes. there's a happy ending there. Thank God. Because at the moment I was like, girl, turn your ass around, grab the dog and go get the <laughs> hell out of there. But yeah, so like that whole handoff is brutal, right? She's having everything about her. Austrian life, culture, friends, dog, whatever, everything is literally being stripped from her. Mm -hmm. And she is being acclimated to the French style, the French court, the French dogs, the French people, all of these things. And she's being thrust into this at 14 years old. That is what is not clear in this film that I think is an important consideration throughout. She is a child and she yeah. is being, we can't overlook traded like chattel to a person so that she can form this alliance on behalf of these countries and i think it's important to note that she does she's too young to understand the gravity of this she's too young to take on this responsibility but it doesn't change that it's happening and there are major political moves happening around her but the only thing that she can see is that her dog is being taken away. Her clothes are being changed. She's having to dress and act and behave in such a way 
that she is proven to be a virgin, a going to be queen, all these things are being, she's being tested on all these fronts and she's being expected to be all of these things. And I, that doesn't really change throughout. When she gets to the palace, it's the same thing. Like she can't even dress the way that she wants, physically get dressed the way that she wants. People have to hand her a garment and it goes through rotations of hierarchy in the room and all these ridiculous cultural shocks that as a 14-year-old girl, not only does she not expect, but also doesn't know how to navigate, doesn't know how to stop, doesn't have the autonomy to stop or change. And then when they become actual king and queen, they know they're not ready. They're too young for this. Mm -hmm. So I, I think that's not lost on you throughout that she's not ready to do this. She's not ready on any level. And so the fact that she acts so immaturely and materialistically in all these ways is not that shocking at first, especially. She doesn't have much else she can do. I think you're on the right track, but again, I just wish the movie had made that a little more clear because what I said earlier about that initial image of her and that fourth wall break, she looks at the camera and I was like, oh, this is going to be like a playful mm-hmm. heroine, like putting her up on a pedestal of look how we know she has this tragic end, but look what a rebellious character. That was my initial impression. Yeah. Then in the first 15 minutes, it totally transitions into this piano score driven, sad carriage ride. And I was like, oh, this yeah. is more on par with what I was expecting before I started. Yeah, it's the a film. costume drama. It turns into a costume drama mm-hmm. of a very traditional costume drama type film. Yeah. 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 And it's just, it seems to waver between, okay, are we, what's the moral of the story here? Are we supposed to feel sorry for this girl in her state of ignorance of having to rule a country where she's not prepared? Because I don't think the movie does a good enough job of making her a sympathetic character in that way. Because we also just see this gleeful and this, remember when I said a week ago that Clueless, I remembered being a Lifestyles of the Rich and the Famous, and it was not. That's what this, I feel like, ends up being. It's just like watching all the rich people in the Hunger Games do their thing at the Capitol. And then at the end, they don't get any vengeance. It just ends, would be like my analogy. I I totally agree. I think it takes a lot of reading between the lines. And again, I think it's a... it's. Are you saying I can't read? That is what I'm saying. We've established (laughs) this. You didn't even know who Marie Antoinette was. Come on. I still don't know who Marie Antoinette is after this movie. That's fair. It did nothing to teach you who she is. That's for sure. Come here for Mackenzie's history lesson, not Maria Antoinette's history lesson. That's for sure. Yeah, no, I agree. I think you're right. But I, again, what I'll say is it does take a lot of reading between the lines and trying to understand what Sofia Coppola is trying to do because it is not explicit for mm-hmm. sure. And I think that's what makes the film hard to enjoy. But again, not like we can't consider it. And I, my my thought too, again, looking at her body of work up to this point, I will also say, cause it changes quite a bit as she goes through her career. But I will just say, I think that part of this story is intended to get you to feel a little bit sorry for Marie Antoinette. Again, one of the things they don't get across that I think would help with that is again, her age, how young yeah. she is when this happens. And that's not super clear because it's played by Kirsten Dunst who can only look so young and she's incredibly young in this film, but I just mm-hmm. mean she doesn't look 14 is the point. So that doesn't make it clear. You don't get insight into how physically restricted she was. Like she couldn't leave Versailles most of the time. She couldn't leave either of her two small estates that she had access to. So some of those things, I think, 
regardless of the cage that you're in, whether it's gilded or not, she's still being restrained, right? Like mm -hmm. she's still not allowed to live her life the way that she wants. And I think that's some of the sympathy that Sofia Coppola is trying to get you to have for her. And the other piece being centering on her loneliness and her loneliness as being a woman in this time period with little to no power other than as a figurehead and as a trophy wife, so to speak, and mm -hmm. an alliance wife. And she's surrounded by this world where she's her, she has one single purpose, which is to bear an heir and hold this alliance together. Right. Mm -hmm. And they know how to use her. They know how, what she's intended for. And that's all she's there for. They have no desire or need to understand her or make her feel welcome or create a family for her there in the palace. So I think it's supposed to highlight how lonely she is. And at least in that way, you're supposed to feel a little sorry for her because she does. She tries to bond with Louis. She tries to, you can tell she's a light bubbly type of girl and wants to just at very, the very least try to be friends with this man. And especially at first, he just has no interest in her. Yeah, I think that there are things in this film too. We already talked about visually, it's stunning. And I think one of the other things that I did really enjoy was Jason Schwartzman's performance. Yeah. I thought he killed it in every scene he was in. And what you said about neither of these two are spring chickens, but they are both playing very young characters. And I thought Schwartzman, as much as at times he's hamming it up a little bit, he does come off as the more naive yeah. of the characters, young, innocent, Immature. of not ready for this power. And I think he plays it that way, which is great. And he just had some great comedic moments in there. Also, second week in a row where we've got a guy who is just not into his girlfriend or love interest, cold feet. Oh my God, like, I know, right? right? Oh, your feet are cold? <laughs> Too fucking bad. <laughs> and I just love that he like, he just has no interest in her. He wants to make keys, y'all. That is, that's all he's ever wanted. That's all he's ever wanted. <laughs> he just wants to make keys. But again, he was fucking 15. That's where, mm -hmm. again, it's not super clear how young they are. And he's a 15-year-old kid who does not want to fuck his wife. Let's just get down to yeah, business. His delivery and, of just, I'm exhausted. <laughs> just, he's totally <laughs> wide awake. I'm, I'm exhausted. Come on, bitch. Not tonight. I And I love that he, one, he's so deadpan about it and his mm -hmm. delivery is so excellent. But also I love his utter commitment to every scene in which he is eating. Uh, yes. He's like, yeah. he's, he's got the, just, the Brad Pitt in Ocean's Eleven thing going on. 100%. Brad Pitt, by the way, <laughs> eats in every single movie that he is in. It's not just in Ocean's Eleven, but it is, in fact, very highlighted there. But who doesn't want to see Brad Pitt eat? I will say he's the only person I want to watch eat. So good move on you. But yeah, Jason Schwartzman does this here, but to a much more comedic effect of it's not attractive at all, but it's hilarious because he's he's cutting his meat so precisely. And he's but he also has this general look of like consternation the whole time. And so I'm wondering if he's if just putting that. food in his mouth to not have to speak. If he's that introverted, he's it just he's I'm not so talking to anyone at this party. He's I, I can't speak to they're at a table alone, her mm -hmm. and him in some cases. And he's I will eat everything on this fucking table <laughs> to not have to say a word to you. <laughs> I also really love his little it's just one shot, but where he's playing the game by himself, whatever the ball rolling down into the slot. And he turns around and celebrates for no one in particular, but he's so proud of himself. I don't even know if you remember the shot I'm talking about, but it, it made me laugh I out. Don't, loud. but that's that's hilarious, though. I, I, I can totally picture it. I can't remember that for some reason right now. You're remembering a couple of things that just blew past me, to be honest. But I love that. He does really commit wholly to it. And I do also love that they 
their relationship evolves, right? He mm-hmm. does. They start to become friends. They're not yeah. any great loves, but they're friends and they're friendly. And that was true of their relationship. Quick historical insert here again. They were friends and they were, but they were not major love matches. And he did not take a mistress as was very typical of the time. He cared a lot for her. And I think he was, I wouldn't say asexual, but it just clearly wasn't the driving force for this guy, mm-hmm. right? It was not mm-hmm. that important to him. But that's a big part of the conflict of this movie that I do think is in, it is historically accurate that they have trouble conceiving. It's seven or eight years into their marriage before they have a child, which is, of course, in an interminable amount of time at that period where that's not acceptable. And she's her role as queen and her legitimacy as his queen consort is being called into question the whole time because she has not produced an heir. And that the brother-in-law does come from Austria to give the fucking birds and the bees talk. That is a thing that happens <laughs> and happened. And I just think that's hilarious because those are some of the little funny aspects that are totally true. And you would think that they wouldn't be, but they are. And he actually wrote a letter to the Empress of Austria after this, Marie Antoinette's mother, Maria Therese, and basically said, he don't know how shit works. That's the rough translation. I mean, that's but... one theory is other could be queen and queen's consort. That's they're rocking the dink lifestyle. Maybe they just wanted double income, no kids. And they seven or eight <laughs> years. It was good while it lasted. But hey, we, we need a heir. Now we got to buckle down yeah. and we got to crank one out. Yeah, we're required. Maybe that's what it was. Yeah. No, I, I think it's funnier to imagine that this fucking kid had no idea what he was doing. And mm-hmm. I'm not going to get graphic about it, but there are explicit reasons why they're like he literally doesn't understand the mechanism required to produce a uh, sex with a belly button type situation you don't have to get graphic you, know, you just said you're not going to get tra- graphic i'm not i can imagine I mean, I can get, though, in my head this is an r-rated <laughs> podcast we can get graphic kid didn't know that he had to stay in there longer you know what i mean he oh. just doesn't he doesn't finish the job. You know what I mean? Uh, and so he, yeah. So he just doesn't understand the mechanics of it. And that was the picture I had in my head of Jason Schwartzman's character trying to have sex with her and being like, are we done? Are we done yet? Is this done yet? <laughs> like just having no idea what to do. He never, That's... he didn't have, they didn't have seventh grade health class back then. Exactly. Guess, there's no France. sex ed back then. hundred mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> percent. There's no, there's no banana and the condom and all the things. Yeah, no, <laughs> that conversation never happened. That's for damn sure. As I said, there's a lot to like about this. And I will say, just backtracking a little bit to when you were talking about the way their relationship does develop over time, and it does become more playful and friendly, you still do end up feeling sorry for Marie at different times, just because specifically, there's the time where she's let's go do something. Let's go to Paris. And Louis just no, I'm good here playing cards. We got everything we need. Why would we go? Why would I? We have literally everything I need. Yeah, but to that point of the developing over time, I the one thing I did, the other thing I did really enjoy was seeing how she did bring a about a cultural change in the palace of the way that she claps at the theater. And that was new to the French people. It was considered impolite in, in those times. Right. And seeing her develop these relationships over time. And we talked about how yeah. ignorant of the situation was she was at first. She does get a little bit more savvy as the film goes on. So I did enjoy mm-hmm. those components of the film. 
Yeah, I agree. I think it's cool to see her slow impact and also the ways in which you can tell again as she gets older and begins to understand better where her autonomy is, what little rules she can stretch that she starts to, that she starts to try, including she doesn't want to talk to Madame Dubarry, who's the mistress of the king. And she pushes that as far as she can before it will break, right? She's, I'm not going to participate in that. And then she finally does and she says very little. And that's her own little mild rebellion. And I like that for her. I like that she doesn't get a lot of autonomy in this story and in her life, but she has these little rebellions. And yeah, I'm going to clap at the opera because it was beautiful. <laughs> I'm going to, I'm not going to talk to this woman who is a mistress and treating people around her terribly and all that. I so also really liked I, that first line that she did deliver to her of just, there's a lot of people that live like that was the line. I thought that was very yeah. clever of just, Hey, this is why I haven't talked to you. There's a lot of fucking people to talk to deal with it. Yeah. And I think it's also just, here's a neutral observation that could not possibly offend anyone. Yeah. And it's also the bare minimum I can say to you and be done. And how quickly <laughs> the madam, what's her name? Burberry? Dubari, yeah. <laughs> how quickly she is to just smile and be so satisfied that she talked to me. She's she so me. proud of herself. Yeah. Like, I fucking got her to talk to me. And I'm like, really? That's the one sentence you wanted out of her. Okay. Congrats. Yeah. Congrats. <laughs> So she's super satisfied with herself is the point, but that's because she didn't really make that happen. She yelled at the king and the king yelled at the ambassador mm -hmm. and then it went through all the normal channels, right? But we not talk about the fucking king being <laughs> rip torn. Y'all, what a weird choice. I can't get over this casting choice. He is, he's a randy old king for sure, but he's also... They all have accent issues, but his yes, is the worst. Yes, because when I think his French, I think worst. rip torn. Yeah, when I think French guy, we think Rip Torn with his gravelly, super American voice. I was just like, who, why, how, why did we decide this? He has the one line where he goes full patches O'Houlihan from Dodgeball. And he's like, I'm not going to marry my daughter. And it's like very Rip Torny and just, yes. yeah. Yeah, I literally have in my notes, fucking Rip Torn, seriously though. And what's funny is that I don't, I shouldn't say funny. What is frustrating to me rather about this is I don't like the inconsistency of accents. I'm mm -hmm. not, I, I understand that this is a modern retelling. I actually like the juxtaposition of some like punk and rock music over yeah. this film. I like stuff like that to your point, a night's tale fucking love that movie. Mm -hmm. I, I like that juxtaposition, but I don't like the utter inconsistency of accents. And I'm not saying they all have to have a French accent. I'm just saying we need to commit to something and it is character to character. You know what I mean? And what is very often common in, in English speaking films where you can't have them speak French the whole time is the automatic translation is they have to have an English accent, right? They have, yep. a, they have a British accent instead. And that's yeah. how we get across the part that they're quote unquote foreign, right? See also Game and, of Thrones. Yeah, exactly. Everybody's got an that's English accent. I, that's what's classic. Everybody has an English accent because apparently they're all from England. Yeah. and But there are some people who do that, right? There are people who commit to that accent here. And that's like a common thing in these films to supplant the French accent with an English accent. But then there are also people with a French accent. But then you have Rip Torn, Jason Schwartzman, and <laughs> Kirsten Dunst, all with their varying forms of an American accent. Yeah. Um, and I just, I think it does throw you in those scenes when they are with other people, right? When they're with the other people in the scene mm -hmm. and they notably have no accent. Yeah. You know, I wonder I how not, this, like, I wonder how this went over in France at the time. I think it took 25 minutes into the movie to hear somebody even speak French. And it's one of the servants at the palace. 
A hundred percent. And yeah, I don't know that it landed well in, in France. <laughs> She's also not the French people's fave for all the reasons that we've said. And I, that's another kind of overarching point of this movie is like, why did we pick this queen to try and empathize with? It doesn't feel like the most obvious choice or maybe even the best choice. Mm-hmm. But again, going back to trying to consider what Marie, what Sophia Coppola is trying to tell us about Marie Antoinette is She's a young girl thrust in this situation outside of her control and the nature of Versailles as a palace and being royal and being in the position that she's in is that it really does shut off all external reality. And what would that do to you as a person, both from a loneliness perspective, but also again, an awareness perspective? This is before news and social media and she just doesn't have the access to know what's going on in her country in the way that that we do today so it's i do think it's important to try and empathize with her a little bit but i don't think she's an obvious choice for that yeah i thought i do like how they set up the the affairs because what we said Mm -hmm. earlier about my husband won't have sex with me like he will not be physically intimate with me in any capacity and how many years could you go through that lonely action before Mm -hmm. you were Mm -hmm. to do something like what she did but to my earlier point it's played out so quickly in like three scenes. It's like she meets the guy and they've slept together. The next scene after that, she's, I don't know what that scene was where she wanders off to the window in the middle of the party and starts imagining him on the horse with the explosion in the background. And I said, Marie, you're masturbating in front of everyone in the room right now. Take a step (laughs) back. For sure. She's imagining him in the American Revolution just for historical accuracy. We had a revolution. Good for us. Yeah, we we did. We did. And they helped and then shit went down in their country and they couldn't help anymore. It was a whole thing. I learned that in Hamilton. You did learn that in Hamilton. Good job. Thank God for musicals and movies teaching Lamar history. One they said, if you time. sing about it, I'll get it. That's, yeah. Yeah. That's what they needed to do here. They needed to sing about it for sure. Yeah. So he's actually a historical figure. And he is one, her paramour, lover, et cetera. But he does have to go away to the war. Mm-hmm. And he is presumed to be the father of her illegitimate son. Um, that was so... another disappointment of mine. And again, because I didn't understand the historical significance and because yeah. I go into a film hoping for more plot points and conflict, I assumed, oh, that kid's going to be his. And I thought that would come up and it didn't. It just goes away like every other conflict. This reminds me of, I don't know why my brain went here, but this made me think of the movie Thank You for Smoking, where mm-hmm. Rob Lowe's characters, we can just write in the line. Thank God we invented that thing that allows us to smoke in space. And I'm like, Sophia, just write a lazy fucking line. That's, yeah. Thank God we he made it back from the war to meet his child. Whatever. Throw us a bone here. I, or I have totally some of agree. the other people at the palace talking shit or like whispers. Yes. I just feel like there was nothing there of, we could have added something in to, to point out that again, to lead to some sort of moral of this story of what are we supposed to take away from this? And also, I think it's like, it it does itself a disservice because she was so judgy about Madame Dubarry and her affair with the king and all of that. And then she goes and does the same thing. And not only that, has a child from that union. Mm. And they don't get into the complication of that, the, the 
gossip at court to your point of all these women who were on her side against this other mistress at one point now seeing her choose to make this same choice obviously with the blessing of her husband by the way like he doesn't care but still is that the reason it's acceptable what is the reason let's mm -hmm. get into that that to your point like that's the interesting stuff that's the nitty-gritty stuff that we want to know and we want to talk about yeah. and i well, totally agree that it's not covered your boyfriend listens to this podcast so mackenzie let's have that discussion now when is it acceptable for a woman to cheat whenever she wants if you make her <laughs> mad if she's unhappy in any way if you didn't get her flowers that week i have a whole list yeah take yeah. notes sir yeah i got your back skylar there you go it's all out there in the open go. now there you go I, another call out i would do want to make before i forget is did you notice an appearance that is a fun appearance as a one of our supporting cast members who has a, a very small role but a super fun one. And I did not name him at the beginning. So I'm wondering if you caught it. I don't think so. I think all the cameos that I noticed, you've already covered. Who are you talking about? You watched Ted Lasso, I assume. I hope. Yes. In, in my soul. Yes. Trent Krim, independent. Who was he? He's her stylist who comes and does her hair. And he has the whole that entourage tracks. with the pink. Because he's got that beautiful mane of hair and <laughs> Not here. We don't get to see it, which is really mm -hmm. sad, but he's got some super extra hair for sure. And he's the one who makes her hair so extra and okay, tall. Okay. And I just love his entrance being like this whole entourage and they all have their <laughs> normal colored buckled shoes and his are bright pink. And he's he's so extra and and really just pumping her up and adding the pomp and the circumstance to both her aesthetics but also her parties and he and rose burns character like hang out a couple of times at the parties and things like that and i just i as soon as i saw him i was like trent Grimm, independent <laughs> <laughs> and i didn't remember him being in this because obviously that was a long time ago yeah. last time i saw this so, i was anyway. gonna in regards to you pointing out his shoes i was gonna say if tarantino who we spent all november talking about has a, a foot fetish i think sofia coppola's got a shoe fetish the close-ups of shoes in this and the, the shoe wardrobe alone was probably more than the entire Clueless budget, is from what I could see. Listen, that's not a Sofia Coppola thing. That's a woman thing. I think that's just you all said of it. Us. Your words, not mine. Listen, okay. I, in my experience as a woman, asterisk, my closet is full of shoes. I have a wall of shoes. Maybe I'll share that on the Instagram. I have a crazy wall of shoes. So yeah, no judgment there. I'm here for the shoes for sure, <laughs> for sure. And then the other thing that I wanted to spin off of yours was in regards to Rose Byrne, who I, again, it's not quite baby Rose Byrne, but she's very young in this is 2006. Young, yeah. And I think one of the first times we see her when she comes in, I was like into the theater while the play is going on. I was like, yeah. Alamo Drafthouse, can we please kick this woman out of can this theater? She's just having a full on conversation in the balcony. Throw up a, ca a card and the manager will assist you. <laughs> Yeah, no, I agree. I was super pissed as well. But I also immediately after she talks, though, I'm like, in my notes, it's the Duchess is the best already. She's already the best character. She has the most flair. She's the mm -hmm. most interesting. Mm -hmm. I love that she's straight up. Have you ever had sex with a Russian guy? Because girl, get on that. And it was it's just so funny and hilarious. And she, of course, is called out as being a problematic character. And of course, she's the fun one. Yes. Like she's the only one that's been interesting so far and everyone yeah. is not into her. And I love that it segues so perfectly from that scene with her talking about screwing a Russian guy to Marie Antoinette's mom, like writing her the umpteenth letter, like basically saying, girl, fuck your husband, probably. <laughs> and it's just that juxtaposition of this girl, this woman who has 
no qualms, no problems getting getting around. And this girl who's, I can't even get my husband to have sex with me. I don't know what I'm doing here. Yeah, yeah. And it's just a funny side by side, I think for sure. So I don't have a ton of other notes on this. If I'm being honest, I would be curious to, to pick your brain a little bit on either the logic behind or how you think it plays out what I was speaking about earlier of having a lot of the conflict in this play out over letters that are just in one scene. And then we don't hear about them for 10 or 15 minutes, whether it be notes about the war or letters about her mom and how she's doing any rationale on your end for that. Yeah. I think ultimately the quote unquote conflict is that they can't have a child for various reasons. And you see her mom and everyone having such concern with this, but you get in the room with them. Right. And what can she do? I think that's mm -hmm. the point. Thank God she doesn't take matters into a dark place, right? Like she's just, she just mm -hmm. lets it happen. She's, he doesn't want this. I'm not going to force him. Yeah. And I'm just going to do my duty as his wife in other ways. And that does really weigh on her. And the gossip does eventually really get to her. And she has that moment where she runs into the other room and sobs after her, their, I think it's their cousin, if I recall correctly, has a child as well. And that's really hard on her. But it's, I think, again, more about the stress of it less about, oh, I want this so bad for myself. I don't think she knows what she wants. I think that's the crux of this, right? Like she doesn't know what she wants. She doesn't get to choose. So she's never bothered to think about it. So I think that's the thing that that kind of helps me try to see this as even slightly interesting, right? Is this is a woman who grows up in a vacuum with immense privilege, but with very little actual freedom to both learn about herself and her life, her wants, her needs, and her surroundings. And unfortunately, it's her demise. Mm -hmm. And I wish we would have touched on that a little bit more in this film. Yeah. I wish that the conflict had been a little bit more centered as far as both internally and external conflict. And instead, you just get her walking off into her fate, and you don't even know what that is at the end of this story. And I think that's a miss for sure. Yeah. yeah, just riding off sadly into the sunset isn't a satisfying ending for anyone involved. Yeah. It's like if you had delved into, I don't know if you would call it a, tra I guess it's a tragedy, but you know, her and her husband's eventual deaths, if we had seen any of that play out, I think it would have left, even though it would have been a sadder ending, it would have been more satisfying in a way because we would have gotten a closure of how this story actually concludes. Right. I think that's the thing. Like you would have closure on this character that you don't generally get and mm -hmm. and it closure on this story with this person that for better or worse maybe you don't empathize with her maybe you don't even like her but you've spent two hours invested in her mm -hmm. is the point so you want some kind of conclusion of what happens to her and instead you get this vague loving look between the two of them yeah. where they know and it's implied that this is not going to end but again if you don't know the history for any reason or the details of it even it doesn't land the same way you're just like okay this is what just happened i think it is yeah. how it left a lot of people and so that's i think where the miss is i will say just quick asterisk on sofia coppola in general this is not my favorite film and lost in translation is also not one of my faves even though it's universally loved mm -hmm. i think which is a whole other conversation um, but this is her early work. I think yeah. that's the thing to keep acknowledge too, right? This is only her third film. She's learning about herself as a person and a director and the way, the things that are important to her. And she's learning how to write in this way. I think it's an okay showing for an early director 
And especially because it is visually stunning, that part is impressive. Lots of shout outs, obviously, to the crew and to her DP and the people who helped her do this. But credits where it's due that she is learning and her shooting style is evolving and changing and that it is beautiful. I just think she, yeah, she needs to fill in some holes. Yeah. So does Marie Antoinette. Ah. (laughs) You went there. You went there. (laughs) Committed. Uh, uh, you, and on that note, what would we rate it? Well, what would we rate it? Before we get into that. <laughs> no penetration. Two out of ten. Would not watch again. Okay. <laughs> oh. um, okay. Okay. So with yeah, hilarity aside, you you said one more thing. Uh, what, what were you gonna say? Yeah, a couple final lingering notes of mine. I wanted to point out, I, I, I know we're running a little short compared to other podcasts. So let's put this in this one of, I'm sure everyone's aware that on movie and television sets, anytime you see actors and actresses eating food, there's basically a, a spit bucket to their right or left on the ground because mm-hmm. you're doing multiple takes of a thing. Multiple you don't want to be consuming all it's the food. It's cold. It's mm-hmm. not, yeah, whatever, all the things. I cannot imagine how disgusting those buckets must have been on this oh set God. of all sets. A hundred percent. They are just, again, it's just a a bowl of diabetes. It's horrible. It's, and it's just constant. Like she's in bed eating. She's on the couch eating. She's at parties eating. They're, they're eating and drinking everywhere all the time. And again, other than Brad Pitt, I don't have really any desire to watch anybody eat. So it gets (laughs) real old real quick for sure. Totally agree on that. I'll watch Brad Pitt eat, especially in the Oceans movies. But yeah, any of his films. That jawline. just Something mm, about watching mm. that shoe. It's just magic. Yeah. So the last thing that I wanted to touch on was I like the concept of having a room full of people encourage you before you're about to have sex. I liked having everyone standing around the bed and then they toast them and say, good luck and good fight or good luck and good work, whatever he says. And I oh just, my God, I'm I hate like, Dude, that. that would be incredible. And okay, get, get out of here. But thank you for the encouragement. So what I'm hearing is that you need the build up. You need somebody to cheer you on before you, you're going to be able to go do the deed. That's what he needed. That's what Louie needed for sure. You and he still didn't do it. You, you can't love someone else until you love yourself. And I think that's where that external sort of ego drive would come that in. That validation is mm-hmm. coming in. Yeah, yeah. Yes. No, totally get that. I find that horrifying. <laughs> that scene, I was like, I can't believe they do this. And they did. And sometimes, they I mean, like, they stay in the room in some cases. I know they show them, like, closing the, the curtains. But in, in some courts back in the day, you would have, like, someone who stood at the door and made sure that it happened. It was just horrifying to me. And also, no pressure. You're trying to make them have a baby. And yeah, who can perform under these conditions? Porn stars, that's who, but whatever. Yeah, yeah. I don't know how they do it. I don't know how they do it. (laughs) I love it. Anything else before we get into our ratings? What are you thinking? I don't think so. I kind of feel like we've tapped everything we can tap on the Coppola. Marie Antoinette train. Yeah. I I wish that after Lady Burberry had said this is Versailles, she had kicked her in the chest into a giant pit behind her. But that was wishful. (laughs) I love that she's evolved to Burberry, by the way, which is a English luxury brand, but that's fine. (laughs) A little bit of action in this, a surprise shock death, something would have kept me more on my toes. I honestly didn't love this experience. And I guess let's segue from that into our ratings. You want me to go first or second? Go ahead, because I'm always terrible at this part. So So I want to hear yours. This motion picture, 
about the woman who introduced clapping to the country of France. They <laughs> never knew how to do it before then, apparently, which was, that was, you know, ed educational to me. She did do them a favor. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. now they can clap every time we beat them at the Olympics. But I guess Absolutely. for me, this was, there were things to like in this film. I think visually it's very stunning. I think there are some solid performances and I think people are doing their best with what they have to work with the director included. But I just think the script itself, if you retool the script around this, that would have worked wonders, but it all starts with yeah. that. And because of the lack of focus there and however Sophia chooses to tell her stories, I get that, but it doesn't make for as enjoyable of an experience. So for me personally, I'm going to give this like a, a three and a half. I just, I wouldn't watch it again. I think it's visually yeah. stunning and there's, yeah, I'm not going to repeat myself, but it's just not a very enjoyable experience for me personally. I'm not going to repeat myself and then I'm going to repeat myself. Respect. <laughs> I, <laughs> no, I totally agree. Yeah. I think maybe, uh, yeah, a three or a four. So yeah, right up in there a four. I had a four kind of vaguely in mind mm -hmm. because again, of all the work I had to do as an individual to further interpret this film. So yes. I feel like I did a lot of work to make myself get to a four. So that in and of itself is not great. Right. But yeah, I would say like at the max of four out of 10, once you consider all those things that are not easy to consider on just a watch a regular watch through for and, sure. And so. respect to you for putting that amount of lift into make it like making the film more enjoyable for yourself. I don't think the average viewer should have to do that, but I no. think that that could be true of more than just this style of movie. And I also yeah. want to point out guys, when we rate, these are our personal opinions. I think this is our lowest overall average of anything we've watched so far. For sure. And yeah. I can see why other people might enjoy this type of film or might, you know, rate this a little higher than we did. I'm not telling you to not watch it, but just for the two of us, not the most enjoyable thing we've watched so far. If you like watching things that are visually stunning and you don't care about plot, that is perfect for you. And mm -hmm. that's actually not a criticism or a judgment because there are mm -hmm. a lot of people who want to watch beautiful things, right? It is a beautiful thing. And so I will give it that. And But other than that, as far as, again, substance, not my jam, three or four, like I said, out of 10. And again, I probably won't watch it again totally ag agree with you i'd seen it before obviously and then i watched it for this and i'm about done and again i put in all the work i'm willing to put in here <laughs> <laughs> yeah janelle janelle actually had to correct me because i said oh i wonder if people who like bridgerton or downton abbey like something like that would really enjoy this picture and she was like well, the reason people love bridgerton is because there is sex and there's no sex in this so that's the yeah, whole plot of the they film they love it because there's sex and it's also written well that yeah. is a very witty script that's a different thing so yeah if you liked this you probably won't like that because it's written mm -hmm. very well so yeah no i love it all right we beat the shit out of marie antoinette and we hope you enjoyed it because we didn't so key takeaway uh, no beheadings no transformers three no transformers no beheadings they also had all the french revolution material to work with and they just ignored it missed opportunity as far as i'm concerned so but how polite are the french people that they show up to the house and they just stand outside and they're like leave please <laughs> Like, yeah, you, they just stand there and she just walks out there and glances at them and then goes back inside. And it's so anticlimactic. And also, again, not historically accurate. They get real violent. So <laughs> all that to say, watch it if you must. And we warned you. But also, we are very excited to have you back next week for our Christmas-ish edition up where we're going to do 
a little spin on your normal Christmas holiday movie kind of mm -hmm. episode. We're not going to just talk about our top five and our top 10, one that just takes us way too long because we talk too much, but mm -hmm. two, we wanted to hone in on some fun topics. So come back for us hearing us talk about our favorite classic Christmas or holiday films, our favorite modern holiday films, and our favorite dark horse holiday film, which could be a number of things. So mm. come back to hear what those are. Be a little bit of holiday variety, exactly. But for now, go have a drink and watch a thing. But not Cheers. Marie Antoinette. Cheers. I was going to say, not this thing though, for sure. <laughs> Clink. <laughs>